in a world that tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job, end your relationship, start a new one, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist this so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. Well, I'm here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Hello and welcome after our little Christmas break. It went on a little bit longer than I thought it would. It's today's just Abby and me. You could probably hear Abby in the background. Um, she's not been happy with me not taking her out for walks, but I'm just freezing cold. I'm sitting in my house in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I have to tell you, when we moved here from Hawaii, I knew that it was going to get a little bit colder, but I didn't expect it to be so cold. I'm literally wearing a hoodie. And um, I look like a little Yoda. I'm just so cold and I have the heating cranked up, but it's, I think that my body's still adjusting to this um, new climate, which I'm sure is way more pleasant than most of America, uh, wherever you are listening from. I hope it's not too cold and too rainy. It's just been crazy as well. In our other house in, in LA, we, it's by uh, Malibu Lake and um, the lake has been just rising. It's, it's getting a little bit scary. And, you know, with all the floods and everything, I mean, I guess that I can complain about how cold I am, but I'm a little human, so I will bitch about it a little bit. <laughs> and with that introduction, I wanted to first give you a little roundup of uh, the good old Instagram uh, conversations that I get to have with you. And I think it's the most favorite part of the whole social media freaking job because <laughs> it's a full-time occupation trying to churn out as much content as the gurus tell you that you're supposed to. But I think that my favorite um, part of it, it's not the creating the content. The creating the content actually stresses the hell out of me because I love writing, but I'm not good with frack, frack it. <laughs> I think I was going to say with fucking graphic designs. And <laughs> I meld them into one word. But yeah, graphic design, not my jam. Um, I also find it so time consuming. I also find it all the time having to figure out what the algorithm wants for us, whether it wants us to dance or it wants us to speak in front of a camera or it wants us to do quotes. It's just exhausting. So I do not like that part of it. I couldn't care less about the likes and how many people share it. I mean, I just hope it gets to the right people. But the part that I love is the comments, especially the comments on the DMs, because I feel that a lot of people don't feel comfortable um, exposing their truths in a public forum. And hey, I totally get it, especially it's just gotten nuts with the whole cancel culture and how I don't even know how to be politically correct anymore. It changes every day. I just have to give a blanket apology if I ever offend anyone. Um, so yeah, I know it's hard, but having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with you guys after I post and I give you my perspective on something and then hearing how it changes your own perspective about the world and how it creates curiosity in you. Uh, a lot of you are like, is this really possible? And then we start having those conversations. And I love that. I love being able to expand people's minds, especially when it comes to what can we do with this one lifetime that we've been given. And this last week, I asked a few questions about how is everybody feeling? Because 
I, I keep a little bit of a pulse in the way that the collective is um, acting out through two means. One, I'm in a lot of spaces with other entrepreneurs and a lot of them are coaches. So we can comment on how our clients are doing, what's coming up for them, what's working for them and what isn't. And then through my own clients and now through, my, through the students for the Holistic Divorce Certification Program. So I feel like I'm like some sort of algorithm putting together all the data and then coming up with thesis, theories, hypotheses, I don't know what you want to call it, but it just gives me a little bit of a sense of where uh, we all are as a collective. And I think that is very important to pay attention to this science, because if we don't understand what's going on at a larger macro context, our lives may be not prepare or properly place for the changes ahead. So I'm always trying to see, okay, how, how are we feeling and what's coming next? And um, this last week I was mentioning about how I feel like there's a lot of heaviness, a lot of darkness, a lot of um, very low energy for people who are usually really high achievers and have no problem with motivation and getting themselves up to the go-get attitude. And they're finding it really, really hard for the last few weeks since the year started. And a part of it is obviously people are tired after the holidays. It always seems like we should be recharged and relaxed after them. But the majority of us put so much stress and pressure on them that we need a vacation from the Christmas holidays. So that's always to be factored into the first few weeks of January. But this time there is also the sense, the general sense that we are beginning to feel uh, the pains of a super high inflation, recession, laying off jobs. The economy is beginning to show those pain signals that are really activating our nervous system. And that's what I think it's translating into a lot of overwhelm and a lot of almost unmotivation because why would you want to motivate to do something if you feel like, oh, well, the economy is going to crash and nobody's going to buy my products, not gonna, nobody's going to need my services. Maybe I'll just save that energy for whatever is coming. And I think that that's an interesting mechanism that our subconscious uses to, again, save as much energy as possible and prepare for impact. But I always say, instead of bracing for, for impact, how about try not to get into the impact zone. And uh, for those of you who surf, there is this place on the surf that is called the impact zone. And it's where the waves break. And it's not on the shore break necessarily. It's where you're surfing. There will be a place where the wave builds up and then it breaks. And then there's the place, which is the impact zone, also known like you're going to eat shit if you get caught in that. So when you're surfing, you're always trying to be paddling out and be on the right lineup. They call it the lineup where the place where the wave is going to break. Of course, the waves change, you know, they'll start breaking in one spot, then the wind, the direction of the swell will change and you'll have to move. But no matter where you are, you just want to make sure that you're not in the impact zone. And if for whatever reason you caught a wave and you got stuck in the impact zone, you're just going to have to work so hard to try and duck under all the waves to get yourself back into the lineup. Either that or you find what we call the channel, which is a some sort of rip current that will take you back up to the waves. But I have no idea why I went into this tangent about surfing met metaphors. 
analogies about this. But to me, it's always been one of those things that you could tell the inexperienced surfers because they will get caught on the on the impact zone all the time and they will get so exhausted. Like they they just couldn't handle it. So you can be out there for three hours if you're just paddling to get into the wave. Or you can be there for three minutes and feel like you're dying because you're paddling to get past the waves breaking on you. So it's important that we feel where the collective is and then we prepare for it. And um, like I said, that darkness, that heaviness, that not wanting to um, motivate yourself to create the changes that are going to be good for you has a way of becoming a habit if we don't interrupt the pattern. So a lot of what we coaches do with our clients is we give them the awareness of where are you, where are you mentally, like what is the emotional state that you have. And then with that awareness, we try and disrupt the pattern and substitute it with a healthier one, one that is going to take you towards your goals. And what I have used in my life that has really worked is four different, I don't want to call them techniques, um, four practices, four um, hacks that have really helped me. And today I was writing about them on my newsletter that goes out to all the subscribers for the Holistic Divorce Institute. So by the time this podcast comes out, that newsletter would have already gone. And if you missed it, I really want to let you know what those four areas are in case you want to apply them to your own life to lift yourself out of that darkness and to be able to motivate yourself out of overwhelm and feeling stuck, feeling like you're in a rut and nothing is going to work. The first one, the first practice that I adopted, and this all happened, let me give you full disclosure or, you know, let me put it in context. I had no way of managing my emotions up until I was 40. <laughs> I have to apologize to everyone who interacted with me before I turned 40 and my marriage was getting to its completion point. And that was a big wake up time for me to understand that I had lived a life that was very successful in paper, incredibly successful. I had had a wonderful marriage, two healthy beautiful, fantastic children, very financially lucrative uh, business ventures. But emotionally, I was like, I didn't even know how to be happy. I didn't even know how to, um, how to manage my emotions, point blank. Like I had no emotional intelligence. So I was very much at the, at the expense of using all my energy to try and combat those emotional stages that will come just based on circumstances. Because if life wasn't going well, my emotional state was just not going well at all. The way that I live now is different. Now, I'm no Yoda. I don't have not all the answers, all the wisdom, but I do know that no matter what the circumstances are, I can generate the beliefs and the feelings that I need to get myself out of any situation or any circumstance. It may not happen immediately. There are times that I have to go through my process and I usually call it the, I get angry, I get sad, and then I get over it. That may take one day, that may take three days, three weeks, I don't know. But I know how to shift myself out of those. Those are my biggest emotions. So those are the ones that I work the most with. But any, any stage, any feelings of insecurity, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of... Um, I, I'm not good enough. There is always 
these four practices that really help me manage those feelings and alchemize them into actually the positive impulse that I needed to get the job done. So here we go. The first one is meditation. And before you turn off the podcast and say, okay, that's just not going to work for me. Meditation never works at the beginning. It just doesn't. It's like starting a diet, starting going to the gym and expecting to see results after three days. All that you're going to see is pain. It's uh, muscles that hurt, <laughs> even muscles that you didn't know existed. A lot of feelings of resentment because you can eat the food that you eat. It just doesn't work at the beginning, but it works with time. And in my case, seriously, six years of serious meditation practice. And I'm just barely beginning now to feel the how the, the meditation, the, the effects of the meditation don't just stay on the mat. I can take them to the rest of my life. And the main effect that I see with meditation, it's never that you stop your thought process. That will be the same as saying you're going to stop your heart from beating. Your mind is going to think. Your heart is going to beat. That's how, you know, your lungs are going to breathe. That's how our bodies work. But what you can do is to really get a lot of awareness as to what is going on in your mind. And again, if you haven't really delved into meditation, this is going to sound like crazy woo-woo. But once you start seeing what's in your mind, then you do understand how your life is evolving. You do understand that you created that reality with those thoughts. It was just that before you didn't know what those thoughts were. It was like having someone whispering in your ear really shitty stories and programming and beliefs and you will just regurgitating them and say yep well that's that's how we're going to live life banging our head against the wall but you just had no idea that you were doing all this because you had this subconscious little voice in your ear once you get serious with meditation and for me it took me going to a 10-day silent meditation retreat which I hated every second of it and I swore that I would never do it again and now I'm really going to go to another one this year it's so happening but it took me a long time to get to the point where now I can sit in the meditation I can observe my thoughts I can really see how that script is really creating the movie that my life is and and this is the best part then you get to change the script it's almost like you're given the the director's copy and you get to change it and you get to say like, yeah, I don't want to do this thing. We're going to move it. And that's when life really becomes this co-creation that people talk about. And you're like, no, life is just happening to me. No, life can really be happening because of you, because you choose what you want. But that's got to start with knowing what's in your mind. Your mind is your GPS. It's the one that is going to say, here's the destination. And then you're going to find yourself going through the motions and going, how did I end up here? Well, it's because you didn't look into your mind, into your GPS to see what destination had been inputted. And the destination is usually put in there by other people, by the way that you were raised, your teachers, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. You just got to be aware of, okay, what's that story? And then do I want to keep it because it's an empowering story and beliefs and values? Or do I want to release them because they're limiting as fuck and this is not getting me to what I want to get? Okay, so that will be number one, meditation. Number two is I hire a coach. And of course, I'm going to tell you that having a coach is the best thing ever. 
because I am a coach and because I am training coaches. And it would be very hypocritical of me to say, well, actually they don't work. It's just a waste of money. I personally think that coaches are the leaders of the new world. Uh, we are training our minds. It's like we're doing our Jedi training of our minds. We are managing our emotions. We're learning all the tools and techniques. And then we're going to teach others, especially those who are evolving really rapidly and want to get the shortcut to, okay, how do I get to know what's in my mind, what's in my heart, make decisions that I won't regret, and so on and so forth. Those people are being guided by those coaches who've done their training and they, they're able to reflect back to people, hey, you may not be seeing it, but this is what's running in the background. And through that awareness, then they're going to start creating that new vision that they actually want for their life. You know, when we talk about the midlife crisis, which I call the midlife arises, is when you get to actually stop and look at your life and say, what is this? Is this what I want? Yes. Continue doing that. No. Okay. What are the changes that we have to implement? And I mean, it used to be that you had to wait until you were 40 or something to have your midlife crisis. Now people are having those crises coming out of college and they're finding help through coaches that are letting them know that they're not broken. There's no need for a psychiatrist diagnosis. What you're experiencing is the full on human experience and it's beautiful. And if you're just properly guided, you can get to your destination however ridiculous and absurd it is. And if what in, what Instagram teach, uh, shows us is true, I mean, there are people out there living really freaking amazing lives. Whether it's true or not, that's to be debated. But there are, I, I, I know firsthand, a lot of people that are really living extraordinary lives, lives that weren't possible even 20 years ago, but they are having access to coaches. And they're having access to the third huge mm, transformation in my life, which was starting to work with mentors. And mentors, sometimes people ask, like, what's the difference between a coach and a mentor? Well, the coach is literally like, you know, the basketball, the sports coach that is there with you and he sees your strengths and your weaknesses and works on maximizing and optimizing your performance. And he gets you to get the gold medal. Okay. That's the job of the coach is the I'm, I'm there sitting next to you and we're going to go through the struggles together. The mentor is more like the guide. It's the person who has been to wherever you want to be and has come back to show you the way. And it's a little bit tricky to find these mentors because the ones that are really successful, they're not so, it's not that they're not willing to come back and help you. It's just that they're so busy. They're so successful that they have full lives. And by busy, I don't mean they're working 24-7, because that to me is not an idea of success, but they're actually traveling. They're spending time with their family. They're spending time by themselves. They have a million projects going on. So it's often difficult for them to take the time to mentor other people. But if you find one of those people, oh my God, treat them like the little golden Buddha that they are, because they know the way. They know how they got there, can be replicated. And if it can be replicated for whatever reason, it's like you're trying to do what they did in one industry in a different industry, they will find a way to see how that can be achieved. I honestly don't have words to express the power of a mentor for what you want to do in life. It's almost like having those 
parental figures that I honestly have only seen them on the movies, but that are, you know, just this, this guidance, this superior wisdom, what the elders used to be, that just put people in the right direction. And then it's just like, and off they go and they soar, you know, it's like having that kind of presence in your life. There is no teacher, no coach, no therapist, not even the most amazing partner can give you that kind of support. So if you can find a mentor, lean on them and be incredibly grateful because the majority of coaches, they do this for a living. And yeah, we exchange our time for uh, money and our knowledge for um, financial reward. Mentors, I mean, they, they will charge as well. And that's totally fair. I don't have a problem with that. But they're not doing it for the money. They're literally doing it because they want to improve the world and they want the next generation to have the tools that they didn't have. So to me, they, they deserve a level of appreciation that goes beyond anything that anyone else, because I think that their service that they're giving to the world is insane in order to help the new generations uh, make this a better world. And last but not least is self-care. And for self-care, I have to do a little um, definition of my self-care because I had fallen into the trap of believing that self-care was um, beautiful hair, um, spotless nails, makeup, the lashes, the looks, the just taking care of yourself so you can look very beautiful. And there is, there is a part of that. That's the kind of care that is, you know, it's nice. And, and I really, again, I've taken this very late in life. Like it's now at 46 that I've started actually paying attention to my hair and doing my nails. And for me, there is a part of that beautifying yourself that is very loving. And, you know, that's the part of the self-care that I do appreciate. But it also falls very squarely into the whole patriarchal domination of women and we have to look beautiful and we can't age and we have to be thin and young looking and it's like oh come on come on no 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 so we gotta be very careful when we talk about self-care whether we're doing that just so we have a beautiful exterior that can be objectified or if we're truly doing it because we love the way that we look when we are all beautiful and again nothing wrong with that it's just where is it coming from so for me the definition of self-care that I adhere to is about putting my needs first and that's very controversial and again the people that stayed on now they may be turning off for this podcast because saying that you're going to put your needs first is in this society seen as an insult to other people is seen as a very selfish attitude and as something that we should be shamed out of. And I think that's a tragedy because we're living in a world of people who are running on empty fuel. Like they have nothing, no empty tanks. There's no fuel in their tanks. They're done because they don't put their, themselves first. They don't put their needs anywhere on the scale of things that need to be done. And sadly, that only creates exhausted, overwhelmed, and resentful people that do not create the world that we want to live in, cannot create abundance from that place. 
are in damaging relationships. I mean, it just it's basically a recipe for disaster because we think that we're supposed to put other people first, but we have to breathe first before we can give our breath to other people. And we have to feed ourselves first before we can feed others. So especially for women, put your needs first. Get very clear on what your needs are. And then ask that others respect when you want to have your needs met and set your boundaries. If there are others that don't want to acknowledge that and respect that, what are going to be the, the results of that? How are you going to set those boundaries with those people? Setting boundaries and keeping them, it's a whole science. I said it before, but there are books, there are courses, there are coaches that can, that can teach you. I just want to plant the seed for you today that your care, taking care of you and your needs needs to come first. That's it. That's my little TED talk for today. I hope that it was helpful. And I hope that those four areas, practices, I don't know what to call them, honestly. It's just um, habits, um, meditation, coaching, mentorship, and self-care are an inspiration for you to try and find those in your life and see how you can really create the life that you dream of. Because I don't believe that any desire that you have should go to your grave with you. I think that we are here to explore our full potential. And I'm hoping that those four tools will help you get there. So let me know, send me a message at Olga Nadal HDI at Instagram, and I'll see you next week. Hey, if you're passionate about helping others move to the next chapter, and want to join one of the fastest growing industries, I would like to invite you to my upcoming training to become a certified holistic divorce coach. Just head over to olganadal.com and click on the Holistic Divorce Institute tab. I can't wait to meet you inside the program.